That movie sucked. I kind of liked it. Movie Night Crew Network. In the rest of the castle, the usual magnificent Christmas decorations had been put up, despite the fact that hardly any of the students remained to enjoy them. Thick streamers of holly and mistletoe were strung along the corridors, mysterious lights shone from inside every suit of armor, and the great hall was filled with its usual twelve Christmas trees, glittering with golden stars. A powerful and delicious smell of cooking pervaded the corridors, and by Christmas Eve, it had grown so strong that even Scabbers poked his nose out of the shelter of Ron's pocket to sniff hopefully at the air. What's up, potheads? Welcome to the Restricted Section, the show in which a bunch of nerds with potty mouths reread the Harry Potter series for the umpteenth time and discuss how the story and its themes have stayed with a generation into adulthood. Thanks for listening. If you haven't done the reading, don't worry, we did it for you. Here's what we're talking about this week. Chapter 11, The Firebolt, Part 2, Christmas. In this chapter, Harry gets a very exciting gift a brand new, super sexy broomstick. You got it, the Firebolt, which is also the name of this chapter. Good work, everyone. Um, Hermione is not quite as excited as Harry is. And she tattles. Welcome to the restricted section. What's inside this Christmas cracker? Pop, it's me, your host, Christina. It's not really quite the right sound I'm effect. I'm just going to pass that right back to Dumbledore. You're like, I don't like this. I love this. Uh, yeah, here we are. Andrew, there you are. I'm not even going to ask how you are because I don't give a shit. But what I want to know is what would you like to to find inside a Wizarding World Christmas cracker. I would like to find a pitch pipe that always plays Rick Astley's Never Going to Give You Up. What is a pitch pipe? You know, like the thing that acapella groups have that go like, doot, but instead oh. of like that, it just, it looks like a pitch pipe, but it's, it's just like, Rick rolls. <laughs> it just Rick rolls whoever blows into it. Okay, that is very creative. That's exactly what I'm looking for here. Brooke, there you are. What would you like to find in your wizard cracker? You know, here I am. It's me, Brooke. I would like to find a, like, butterfly made entirely out of glitter that just, like, floats around the room for the duration of your meal and then disposes of itself in a trash can so glitter doesn't get anywhere. Oh, so it doesn't... I env- <laughs> When you were describing it, I envisioned it glittering on everyone. It's not glittering on everyone. No, no, no. It's just made okay. entirely of glitter, and it kind of, like, floats around for the whole meal just as, like, a beautiful sparkly butterfly, and then when you're done, okay. it throws itself away. So it must be magical glitter if it doesn't get on anyone. Correct. It's okay. the only time that glitter won't get on everyone with magic. Okay, okay. Mike, hello. There you are. What about you? What would you like to find in your Christmas cracker? It is I, Mike, making my once a book guest appearance. Don't say that because it'll make you get on the last chapter. No way. (laughs) Veto. (laughs) What I would do is actually I would combine both brilliant ideas from both Andrew and Brooke and I would have a butterfly that appears, but this butterfly would play Crazy Down's butterfly (laughs) 
as it as it as it just as it just beautifully puttered away with magic dust but the entire time it's just like sugar baby and you're just eating your meal and you're just like wait 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 you think that a butterfly butters that is the movement of a butterfly you said a butterfly butters around yeah man well okay so i apologize this is a magical butterfly and its dust is just butter yeah so it's like it's like flying over your food that's like alice in wonderland it butter greases yeah as you're flying over food it is just butter dust and at the same time it's playing it's playing the one hit wonder crazy towns butterfly which if any of our fans are not familiar you are seriously missing out I'll play a clip now. Come my lady, come come my lady, you're my butterfly, sugar baby. Come my lady, you're my pretty baby, you make electricity, you make me go crazy. A very special shout out to YouTube user XSG Gnarly, who one month ago commented on this video saying, seven-year-old me going to the skating rink, barely able to rollerblade on a Friday night with my 13-year-old brother and hearing this song 32 times in five hours. The nostalgia. The 90s, early 2000s was the greatest era in time. Flip phones, no Facebook, no bullshit. Take me back. XSG Gnarly. I'm with you. Wow, wasn't that great? I love that song. Such a throwback. Wow, so good. When I was younger, <laughs> that song made me horny. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when I was younger and I heard that song, I thought any girl that likes that song, I will never have anything in common with. <laughs> wow. And weren't you wrong? <laughs> I think I'm the appropriate demographic for that song. I've got a few extra piercings. I've got some tattoos. I've got a lot of burnt mm-hmm. out dreams. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, in my wizard cracker, so I envisioned picking up a wizard cracker that's about the size of a, like a toilet paper tube, right? Like that's about the size they are. And I envision when I pull it, it's just a big bottle of wine. Like it's just like out of nowhere. It's just like, it's like none of this makes sense, but it's magic, you know? What is the sound effect that it makes as it pops out? Very important question. Like a thump into my arms. <laughs> slash as I'm dropping it on the table because I wasn't quite ready for that. But while you're drinking it, it's playing Crazy Town's Butterfly. <laughs> Obviously. Well, we're all at the same Christmas dinner, so we have your butterfly already. We don't need We, we don't need, need a wine bottle. Two different butterfly contraptions <laughs> playing it at off time so that you're kind of constantly hearing a mismatch of parts of the song Butterfly. No, 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 no. That sounds like the only way to have a wizard in Christmas. Okay, I'm envisioning some gal like dressed to the nines for Christmas and you just hear the song Butterfly and you're like, where is that coming from? And you hone in on her and you're like, oh my God, her butterfly clip is a live butterfly made from glitter that's playing Butterfly. (laughs) And at the same time, though, it's spreading butter all over her. (laughs) It's just dripping butter down her thing and you're just like, oof. Okay, well, this seems like a this nonsense that's happening right now seems like a great transition into this week's installment of Mott's Thoughts. Answer with the theme song, please. Mott's Thoughts. Thank you so much. Um, here's another email from Mott's. Hello, welcome back to Theory Time with Mott's. The Shrieking Shack did originally get its name from Lupin's screams during his werewolf transformations, like he says in book three. But instead of people in Hogsmeade still thinking it's haunted because of Lupin's screams from 20 years ago, they think it's haunted because they still keep hearing screams there. However, what the villagers believe are the screams of ghosts actually come from older Hogwarts students going there to fuck. (laughs) 
The rumors of it being haunted are encouraged and spread by the older students who don't want the truth to come out. Hashtag moaning shack. <laughs> I feel like fuck shack screams are different than pain screams. <laughs> Mots goes on. Anyway, for some reason, I'm now picturing, bear with me because this is going to sound bad. 13-year-old Colin Creevy, okay, and his friends staring over at the Shrieking Shack only. They're looking at it. They're observing it. (laughs) And and the friends are like, hey, Colin, can you hear what they're saying? And then it says screams are heard from the Shrieking Shack. And Colin says, um, what what does wrong hole mean? Oh, no. Mots concludes by saying, anyway, I hope y'all have a wonderful day. Love you all. Bye. (laughs) Well, Mots, fuck you for that mental image. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I loved that. Well, let's get into the chapter. So this is the second part of the chapter called The Firebolt. Good news, everyone. Good news, everyone. There's a firebolt in this half of the chapter. I'm instantly mad at the start of this section because... Once again, here's Hagrid just being completely incapable to handle adult life. And he is making these 13-year-olds into, like, baby paralegals. Yeah, baby paralegals for sure. Not as nearly as entertaining of a series as Harry Potter baby paralegals. Wait, it's like baby geniuses. <laughs> Harry Potter baby paralegals. <laughs> it's like the Congressional Research Bureau. Or, uh, what is it? The Congressional Research... Never mind, I can't remember what the thing's called. No, it's it's a division of uh, the National Library that you can request that they will research something for you and they'll send you, like, material based on what you're looking for. I mean, the thing is that Hagrid is being, is super wrong here for emotionally burdening these children with his troubles, but incidentally, it is exactly what Harry needs to not, like, go on a murder spree, right? So Harry is luckily able to, like, shift his focus from really desperately wanting to murder Sirius Black to helping Hagrid. The trio goes to the library. They get some books about magical creature legal cases. Um, And yeah, there's just like a cute little Christmas at Hogwarts montage that I read in the introduction. So it's crazy to me that the documents that they have go back this far to like 1296 is one of the dates that they're looking at. And that's surprising because... It means that the Wizarding World has had, like, a very well-established legal system that exists outside of the presence of the crown, Mm -hmm. which was not the way that the British legal system worked at that point in time. Interesting. I was thinking that it was unrealistic because no one could write back then, but I had a rebuttal for that. Maybe the quick quotes quill was invented because almost no one knew how to write. (laughs) It would also be interesting because most of the records that we have from that time period are going to be religious records. So things that were kept by churches and by monasteries. So it'd be really interesting if the magical community had its own outside record preservation area, because there's no way that any of their stuff would be recorded in monasteries. I mean, surely they do. Like it's surprising because it's such a, like a, a nonsense case where it's like they let a manticore off for savaging someone because they, and this is recorded, everyone was too scared to go near it. But yeah, first of all, <laughs> why would they even write that down? That's like, burn that court case, just take that manicure into the woods and we'll never speak of this again. <laughs> yeah, also, it's just like, you don't want the manicores knowing that. Like, now they're in power. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, right? manicore like, killings. Yeah, like, now they're just like, looks like it's totally game on, baby. We learned in 1296 <laughs> that no one wants to fuck with us. <laughs> 
Also, just like how paper lasts so long. Um, magic. Ma- oh, man. Yeah. Oh, you're right. I forgot. That was a genuine <laughs> question and a genuine answer. I'm glad we resolved that. Didn't we also figure out that they use parchment, which means that it has, or not parchment, they use. Which, as a reminder, the definition of parchment is that it is made from animal skin. That's what differentiates it from paper. Just use paper. But not manicure skin because they scurry. <laughs> they scurry. <laughs> So we transition from a Hogwarts Christmas montage into actual literal Christmas. Ron and Harry opening presents. There is a mystery present. What's inside? This shape doesn't resemble anything. I can't tell by looking. We're so, we're so mysterious. Okay. How did we go from him getting his Nimbus 2000, which was a scenario where they were literally like, it was obvious to fucking everybody that this was a broom (laughs) to Another broom wrapped in paper and then being like, well, what is it then? <laughs> Truly, the movies just like destroy this because like, it, like I get it. it. It could be in like a box. It could be heavily padded. But the movies, it's like it is the shape of a broom. Like it is a broom shaped paper. And so I just this is always so stupid to me. It's like, what the fuck do you think it is? It's longer than you are. Like what could it like you think it's a hockey stick? It's so broom-shaped when wrapped that you're almost assuming someone fake-wrapped it that way to conceal a different (laughs) present. There's a bit in a Family Guy episode where Brian gets a gift and it's like a rectangle. It's like so evidently a book. We're all readers. I think we just know the feeling when you get given a book as a gift. You're like, this is a book. When I unwrap it, there's a book in here. And he unwraps it and the shape just completely changes and it's a bottle of Jack Daniels. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's the firebolt. It's a it's a good broom. Harry touches it and it like springs to life. Like he immediately like avatar soul bonds with this broom. Yes, that is exactly the right way to describe it. Yeah, and I don't think we ever heard about the Nimbus 2000 doing that. No. Nimbus 2000, good broom, but not borderline sentient. Not borderline <laughs> sentient. It reminds me of the brooms from, is it Fantasia? Yep. The walking yep. brooms, the firebolts, like at your service. I guess the best way to describe this is really if you if you take an analogy from another really great fantasy literary series from childhood, uh, Power Rangers. It's basically after the Power Rangers got rid of their first Megazords, and then they got the Dragon Zords. Oh yeah, I think. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're just like, oh my god, this motherfucker just leveled the fuck up. Yeah, like, you're like, I thought the Zords were badass, but now I understand that I was wrong. Dude, and yeah. this is badass. It, it, it remind. <laughs> I was like jumping around my room as a kid, because I was just like, well, he just basically went Super Saiyan, but like with Quidditch, so... <laughs> well, for like one split second, he yeah. has all the dreams in the world. This sparked my interest a little bit, okay? Because one of the things that is said here is that it would have been like hundreds of galleons is the figure that we're given, right? Yeah. And it kind of made me wonder, like, well, what, what does that really mean? What does that really mean? So I did a little oh bit of a deep dive, right? Okay, so I'm yeah. guessing if you're saying hundreds of galleons, you're like talking three to seven hundred because it's more than a couple hundred. It's not almost a thousand. Right. Like, I'm guessing three to seven hundred galleons. Okay. Now, if you switch that into dollars and okay. then you adjust for inflation from 1993 <laughs> to 2021, you're okay. looking at between thirty six hundred and eighty four hundred dollars. Which is so a, pretty a car. Yeah, that's like a used car. Like a used car or like a brand new Scooty Puff Jr. <laughs> or like a really nice Birkin bag. 
well, <laughs> well, what what I thought is like maybe what about comparing it to like a bike, like a road bike, right? Because it's like a similar sport. Like it's a very important yeah, piece of equipment. And road bikes do cost that much. Well, it, the the top end ones that you would use, like because they say this is like a international standard, and apparently from what I saw, most of those you're looking at at least twelve grand for a bike on okay. that level. Um, and just really quick, I did just Google what the fuck a Birkin bag is. I thought it was a hiking thing. It's not. Um, <laughs> it's not. It's a. It's, it's like a, a Hermes bag brand bag. Hermes. Yeah. Her. Whatever, dude. Don't add our sibling podcast of the eldest gods about how to pronounce Hermes. <laughs> no, th- the brand is pronounced Hermes. I've heard Hermes. It's spelled Hermes. Yeah, it is spelled. It Hermes, is spelled. That Thank way. you so much. I only really know about Birkin bags because Megan the Stallion posts about hers on her Instagram, and I oh. love everything about her Instagram. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And they're cute. Like I would, if if Target sold a twenty dollars version of this, I'd buy it. So okay, brooms expensive like a car, not as expensive as a fancy ass bike. Bike. Yeah, it turns out those are more expensive than used cars. <laughs> Yeah, spoiler alert, I don't have to say that, all spoilers all the time. We know Sirius Black sent this to him, and he has the family fortune at his disposal. Although you would think someone would, like, be in charge of, like, monitoring those funds if he is on the loose. Yeah, it is one of those things where you're like, is there an IRS, like, you know, like, when somebody does something illegal in the US, we're like, we've frozen their bank accounts, they can't Mm -hmm. leave the country. And there they're like, nah, this guy escaped, he's a wanted killer, to be fair, their mo- their monetary system is literal physical money. Like, they don't have the concept of electronic money. So it's like, you don't necessarily have to freeze anyone's accounts. They literally just have to have, like, a closet full of gold. Well, and you also get the impression that the goblins would not be above bribery and, like... I get every feeling that the goblins in the Harry Potter universe would respect the fact that the noble and most ancient House of Black has been doing business with them for, you know, thousands of years and would not mind sending him or, you know, transferring funds for him without alerting anyone of the ministry. yeah. I mean, the goblins are definitely, like, the Swiss bank when it comes to, like, Nazi dealing when they're just kind of, like... If nothing else, they don't give a shit about the affairs of wizards. But Black does explain later that he sent... I think Crookshanks to go do this financial transaction for him. Wait, that can't be right. He sent somebody to do it for him. Maybe that's in Goblet of Fire when he's like long-term hiding. I guess we'll just have to read and find out. Yeah, I guess you'll just have to read and find out. But at some point, he definitely sends something to get some money for him. I do want to note that I was wrong about Birkenbags. They cost $12,000 on the low end and they go up to 200000 Oh, okay. useful. Well, I will not be buying one. I won't be looking at one for fear of breaking it. <laughs> Yeah, that, that sounds right. I think what you're thinking of is Crookshanks is who he sends to go and get the trio. Serious in the end of this That book, is not he, what I'm thinking of. He sends someone something to get money at some point, I swear to God. And when we get to that chapter, I'm going to be like, see, Andrew? So just brace yourself. Honestly, I'm surprised in general that Harry, and maybe this is just him maturing, had the restraint to look at his giant ass pile of gold and not buy himself this broom. Yeah, first, well, the he wanted to buy it over the summer, but he already had the Nimbus 2000 and he was like, okay, I'm a man now. I'm on my own. I can't be making these foolhardy decisions. And I think that he might have, he's like in the process of shopping for a new broom right now. And I, I think he like literally might have bought himself this broom. Okay. You think had this not occurred, yeah. he would have 
ultimately purchased his own. The reason he hasn't bought one yet is because he's, like, literally still grieving the Nimbus 2000. He's, like, not even, like, he doesn't even want to be shopping for a new broom. So I think that, like, you know, when you're buying a new car, you're like, am I going to spend, like, six grand on something that's not going to last me very long? Or am I going to spend 15 grand on something that is the absolute maximum I can ever imagine spending on a car? 15 grand on something that will last me, like, at least 10 years. Incredible. I have only bought a, like, brand new car or a car that I paid $2,000 in cash for and lived out of the back of. So yeah. I have, I, I I exist on very extreme ends of the that spectrum. Yeah, I'm pretty much on one end of that spectrum. So many $2,000 cars lost to the sea. <laughs> Dude, I just feel bad for any poor kid who's just like sitting in the same like, like common area and they're like, Wow, must be nice to have the murderer of your parents still buy you gifts there, Harry. Like, <laughs> classic you know, Harry. Like, well, Ron is right there. Yeah, like classic <laughs> Harry. Even your murderers love you. Like, well, they don't. They don't really know or guess that it's Sirius Black at first. They think it's maybe Dumbledore. Yeah. Even worse. Even worse. Imagine <laughs> yeah, if you were going sure to a worse. private school. And then the headmaster of private school was like, hey, you want this sick ass dirt bike? And you're like, totes. <laughs> well, they bring up, so they bring up that they're like, oh, that would be favoritism. But like McGonagall bought him his first broom. I don't think she bought it with his own money. I think she, oh, wait, I don't think she bought it with the school's money. I think she bought it on his behalf, honestly. I, I think that this is the same scenario, though, where they're assuming that Dumbledore would have bought him the broom with his own funds. Well, I, I don't know. I, just like, the why context care about favoritism now? Feel that way, yeah. Um, I just want to go back real quick to something Andrew you said a couple minutes ago. Um, we were talking about like kids being jealous of Harry um, getting this like super rich, nice mm -hmm. gift, and you were like, "Well, Ron is sitting right there," and I just think it's really cool that Ron has no evident jealousy in this chapter. Yeah. Like when. I mean, definitely, obviously, in Goblet of Fire, things get a little testy between them. But for the most part, like, Ron is able to really compartmentalize his, like, own feelings of being poor um, and his, like, genuine joy for, like, Harry and all the fun. He's like, I get to maybe ride this broom now because Harry has this broom. How fucking cool is that? Yeah, I, I completely agree. He doesn't show any jealousy at all. Like, it's fantastic. And it's that, like, thing that only a kid can do, too, because just like you said, like, I remember friends getting gifts and my thought isn't like i wish i had that it's all like now we get to play with that yeah and i i think that him getting jealous and like really pissed off in the next book in goblet of fire makes sense because he is feeling like harry like did something without him which is like totally different from your friend like getting a gift that you're not a part of but ron ron is so excited that he he is spiraling he's like maybe it was dumbledore like we mentioned I do love that when they're like, hey, uh, maybe Dumbledore got that. Ron's reaction is something like, no, because some prat like Malfoy would probably call it favoritism or something like that, which is just like the most hysterically biased response you could ever imagine. It's definitely favoritism. <laughs> so this brings up a good point. Up until basically the last book, in my opinion, Ron is the best bro to do a three-way with. Okay. <laughs> Dead serious. Follow on. me on this one. He's yeah. supportive. He's just like, yeah, Harry, you're doing it. So check <laughs> it. You and your boy, Ron, you're out. You're doing things. You're at a club. Pre-COVID times, obviously. And obviously they're over 18. Yeah. You meet some young lady. She's just like digging on it. She's like, why don't both you and me 
and your friend go back. And Ron doesn't get jealous. Ron doesn't hog in there, man. He's supportive. He's about it. He's like, hey, why don't you two have some one-on-one time? I'll sit in the corner, like do my thing. Maybe <laughs> I'll jump back in. Thing. Like, you know, like Ron is like, Ron is the best, like three. If you had to do a, a two-way guy split, man, a three-way, that's your boy. Like that's that's the man. Ron's just coming up, whispering in your ear, like, great job. You're doing really good. Yeah. He's just like, Dumbledore would be so proud of you. Do, Keep do you going. need water? Are you getting dehydrated? Yeah. I can go and get you a cup of water. I don't know why this bit is like now reminding me of Rob Lowe from Parks and Rec. Like, it's like he would come up to you in a threesome and be like, you're doing great. Do you need water? Yeah. I'm just saying it. Like, young Ron, before like the last book, because you know, like kind of. Young, gets, young. Yeah. Over no, okay. Yeah, yeah. Over the spirit of a over, young Ron. A spirit of a young Ron <laughs> in a clearly 20 something year old male's body. <laughs> just, just, just two uh-huh. dudes on both sides and a very willing consensual young lady who who's is also not even 20, his sister who's, yeah, not, who's even, not his sister or their <laughs> mutual best friend no 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 it can be their best friend they, they i do not think they're Hermione doing three Harry would never come back from oh uh, no no dude the awkwardness of that but i'm just telling you everything from this chapter just makes me think that you know if you're gonna be eskimo brothers with somebody he's the one he's the one man especially if you're gonna be in the moaning shack or the screaming shack you know like <laughs> So next Ron thinks that the the firebolt was sent by Lupin. He's kind of just spiraling. Um, Harry's like, oh, just as a reminder, Lupin is like visibly poor. <laughs> and then Ron lets it slip. I, uh, that's not the right phrase. It's not like a secret. But Ron mentions that Lupin was like away during Harry's nightmare Quidditch match. And Harry's like, oh, I thought he was sick. And Ron says he wasn't in the hospital wing, which is the only place people are allowed to be when they're sick. Because when I'm sick... I want to get up and go. I don't want to stay in my bed and not talk to anybody. Also, sick never means mental health days. It always means you need to go get a pepper up potion from Mrs. Pomfrey. Well, I think it also just lends to the nationalized healthcare system of the UK that they're like, oh, if you're feeling bad, just pop into the hospital. Wow, yeah. you're so right. Like, just go get yourself taken care of. Like, why would you ride that out at home? <laughs> That's a great point. <laughs> And of course, on another level, too, what I really think this is, is Snape knew that Lupin wouldn't actually be in the hospital wing. And so he knew that if he sends Ron to detention and schedules it at that time, Ron's going to figure it out and Ron's going to fucking talk about it in front of Hermione. Ron's never going to figure out what it actually means, but he's putting all these things (laughs) in motion so that Hermione is going to realize that Lupin is a werewolf. That's a really good point and a desperate move if you're hoping that Ron is going to notice something and say it, you know what I mean? But that, yeah, that never occurred to me, but you're totally right. It all comes back to Snape. Well, Hermione comes in because girls are allowed to walk into the boys' dormitory. Girls, Boys are not allowed to walk into the boys' dormitory. I can't say it right, but you know what I'm trying to say. Um, do we want to talk about that a little bit? Because I hate that. You know, it just like, I think that it should be egalitarian and that nobody should be up in anyone else's bedroom. I totally agree. When I was in high school and I was first sneaking around trying to hook up with guys, um, I had helicopter parents. So if we wanted to like fool around, we would always have to go to the dude's house. And it was like, it definitely contributed to a power dynamic. You know what I mean? I think this is, like, a fairly universal thing, though, in terms of, like, the difference in the way that people raise boys and girls, and that every dude I ever dated, his parents were like, yeah, you guys can go upstairs, fucking whatever, maybe just keep the door open. And then, like, every girl I know, her parents were like, you are sitting on opposite sides of the couch where we can see you. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yep, 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 yep. That's a thing. By this point, like in the book or like in the series, like Harry and company have found so many hidden secret places to like just go and like shack up that you're kind of like Hogwarts must be just like I'm surprised there wasn't a scene where they just like open some mysterious door and there's already <laughs> like some like 17 year olds like making that out happens there. to Ginny Weasley in Chamber of Secrets she walks in on Percy oh yeah that's right you literally don't even have to find a hiding place because the castle's so big Ron and Lavender in book six just walked out of the common room and they're alone <laughs> <laughs> and making out I I'm surprised with all of the random ass, like, extra material that we- Wow, someone's not paying attention to the podcast. Are you fucking kidding me right now? So anyways, I love you. (laughs) Go on, Brooke. So anyhow, I do think with all of, like, the random extra material we get for this series, I'm shocked that wizarding birth control has never once come up. Yeah, well, yeah, because she just likes to duck those issues. I know, but, like, you you went into vanishing poop, and you just, like, yeah. completely fucking ignored the fact that, like, kids be out here fucking, and, like, I'd like to imagine that magic birth control is as easy as, like, a spell with no side effects. Yeah, that would be awesome. The staircase thing, just circling back, I, what I'm saying is the dormitory thing, because what, mm-hmm. just as a reminder, what happens when a male identifies, no, I'm just going to, when a boy, because that's how things are in this world, when a boy tries to go into the girl's dormitory, the stairs turn into a slide, and not the fun kind, it's a surprise slide, which is not a good kind of slide. But the girls can just walk into the boys' dormitory, and that just it just goes back to like like let's teach these women to control themselves, but the boys will simply never be able to. So let's not even try. Let's just physically pre- like prevent them from gaining access instead of expecting them to control themselves. I will say one thing I love about this moment is a betinseled crookshanks. <laughs> I didn't even clock that. That's hilarious. <laughs> Does it say betinseled? No, it says crookshanks who was looking did. very grumpy with a string of tinsel tied around his neck, which means that Hermione and Hermione's still in her dressing gown, which means she woke up, found her cat and immediately put a tinsel garland around its neck. That's a 13-year-old mood right there. Yeah, I was about to say, that is the most 13-year-old girl thing to do, where it's like, it's fucking Christmas. Put that on, mister. I said that's a 13-year-old mood, but, like, I do frequently just, like, tie and place random things on my cats. It's pretty funny, okay? They don't like it. It's funny to watch them struggle a little bit, because they ain't never had to struggle for anything a day in their lives. Yeah, she brings Crookshanks in. I It makes me mad, okay? It makes me mad, because I think that at this point, especially after the incident we're about to talk about, it's very evident that, like, maybe it's not... Ron's like, that cat heard me say that Scabbers was in my pocket. Maybe that's a little extra. But for sure, this is a cat who wants to eat that rat. Like, there's no denying that. (laughs) So, like, why are you so insistent that this cat be near this rat, dude? Every single time she brings Crookshanks around Ron at this point, where Scabbers is involved, it just devolves immediately into chaos. And it's just like, it's not hard to like kind of control a cat. Like, I don't see her with a spray bottle. I don't see her sting, you know? Like, you could literally at least try to discipline a cat. Dante's eyes opened from his nap when I did that. He said, It's not me, I'm sleeping. So, that's the thing is, it's like, not only is Hermione, like, not 
she's not respecting that Ron doesn't want Crookshanks around him or his rat, but like she also is not taking any steps to make these really traumatizing interactions any better. Like, frankly, they're hard to read because it is a shit show. I mean, everything happens. It's like hard to take notes on the scenes where cat and rat interact. Okay, so, well, first of all, Hermione's like, "Mm, I don't know about that broomstick. I don't like her very much in this chapter. And then Crookshanks immediately leaps at Ron's chest where Scabbers is. It's like a shit show. Ron's like trying to protect the cat. He like tries to kick Crookshanks and he misses, which... Hermione gets mad about that, but, like, if you're being attacked by my cat, like, for the love of God, kick him. He will be okay. You might not survive a good old-fashioned clawing in the face. He'll be cool if you punt him, dude. Don't even worry about it. Now, Penny, we don't punt her. Like, also, like, he rips up Ron's pajamas. I just feel personally offended anytime Ron loses belongings yeah. because you know you they will not be replaced. <laughs> They just won't be replaced. Like, yeah, he has a set number of things, and that's all he gets, plus one Christmas sweater per year. God. Really quick, uh, right before that, there's a great little back and forth that I absolutely love when Ron, when Hermione's, like, questioning the broom, and Ron yeah. just doesn't realize that he is, like, absolutely digging his own grave. Yeah. she's like, well, where'd you get it? And he's like, we don't know. He thinks it's awesome. She's like, isn't that an expensive one? He's like, it's expensive as all the other brooms <laughs> on this on the Slytherin, which means that a Nimbus 2001 costs between $515 and $1,202. Um, Ron would 100% trust a baggie of Coke that he found in the stall of a nightclub. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you know what? That's the Hufflepuff in him. You know, he's just so ready to trust people in their and intentions. And that's why he's good for three ways, man. <laughs> he brought the Coke to the three Dude, way. <laughs> he brought the Coke to the three way. He doesn't even know this girl, but you're telling him she's clean. So fuck it. Right, man. Let's do this. For what it's worth, I don't recommend Coke for a three-way. <laughs> we don't need to get into the details. Are we revealing that Scabbers is Peter Pettigrew? Dun, dun, dun! <gasps> all spoilers all the time, Holmes. Okay, sorry, all I don't know. All spoilers all the time. All right, all right, all I'm saying is this is, man, discipline. Like, straight freaking discipline. Your life is in danger. You're about to be fucking eaten. And you're like, no, must stay incognito for the Dark Lord. <laughs> must stay undercover. Don't reveal anything. I don't, I don't I think mean, it's for the Dark Lord. I think it's for his damn self. So yeah. we talked about this last time, but last time I feel like he was distinctly less close to getting murdered. Yeah. And like this time he was far, far closer to like, getting murdered. Like if you wanted to like, you could write like five chapters on just his perspective of this whole scene right now where he's like <laughs> debating. He's like, I could transform back into my normal self, jump on the Thunderbolt and just fly out of here right now. Thunderbolt. With, like, <laughs> Firebolt. Firebolt, sorry. The Thunderbolt like, is cooling. Yeah, but like, you know, like grab Harry, like think about it, like snatch Harry, jump on the Firebolt, fly the hell out of there, you know what I mean? Like, I just don't think he ever could have accomplished that because he hasn't been a literal human in 13 years. That's what I'm saying, but I'm just saying like the discipline 12, of this man right years. now, yeah. his life is on the line and he's just like, no, rat, yeah, rat I, until I die. I think he's just banking on if he is like on Ron's person that Ron will protect him. I think he's like really banking on that because he's on Ron's person right now. Which once again shows why Ron is great for a three-way because they'll <laughs> always have your back even if you're a fucking rat. <laughs> even if you're a fucking rat. Okay, so Ron's trying to kick Crookshanks, but he kicks Harry's chest instead and knocks it over. So I guess physics aren't really a thing because that is not really 
that's not real. Yeah, no, a, a, a misjudged kick to a trunk at the end of the bed is not going to knock the whole ass trunk over. I think even if it were empty, that wouldn't work, but it's full of shit. Yeah, I, I don't see a scenario where a kick from a 13-year-old boy results in a trunk falling over, even if it's like an intentional kick, if it's fully loaded. Yeah, and he's in bare feet. Yeah, he's kicking like a 200-pound trunk probably, or, well, maybe not that much, but like at least a 40-50-pound trunk. 200 would be a lot of pounds. Yeah, 40-50-pound trunk it's that's like shit. a low center of gravity, you know? Yeah, well, he does knock it over, I guess. Um, and the sneakoscope falls out, and it's alarming. There's an it's sneak it's sneak what it's whistling. It's scoping the sneak. It's scoping the sneaks. <laughs> it's alarming alarm. Well, okay, because because okay, we've talked about this before about like when exactly does the sneakoscope alarm, and because it's not always like it's definitely been hiding in his trunk so we're not sure what it's been doing but like but like i don't remember who brought up that like maybe it only is alarming when someone is actively not just scabbers peter pettigrew like napping around being a rat but when peter pettigrew is like oh fuck i'm gonna get eaten and i'm a human and should i jump on this firebolt thunderbolt and grab harry and (laughs) fly away into the sunset and like that's why it's alarming because he's like actively being so deceitful in his brain so the sneakoscope is picking up on intentional deceit but not accidental deceit yeah not like passive deceit not like not like i'm a rat but i'm really a human (laughs) <laughs> I never really understood the sneakoscope. I always felt like it was a very, yeah, just like, how how does it work? Much like most other of magical artifacts in this series, it does exactly what the plot needs it to and nothing more. So the sneakoscope falls into the same category of magical objects for me as the remember all, where it seems, once you think about it for like five minutes, it seems eternally useless because yeah. it's just like, okay, so it goes off. Like, yeah. what? does that tell you someone's being sneaky you don't know who you don't know where you don't know what context right i think a more useful device and this isn't even that useful either but a more useful device is the faux glass which comes into focus as your enemy is getting closer to you so like you can at least have some kind of gauge there right Mm -hmm. but it doesn't tell you who those enemies are or what they're gonna do (laughs) so that's actually one of my favorite like little pet theories is that the reason that alistair moody went so insane is because he caught to the point that he had so many enemies he constantly had sneak scopes and faux glasses all around him and there was so much like baseline threat that they were always going off but he never actually got attacked which is why he has like this ptsd effect of like constant vigilance it's because he like trusted these instruments so much but because they are pretty useless they just like constantly kept him paranoid i feel like you're just describing anxiety right now <laughs> well that's the thing is like it would be building in anxiety in him for but imagine how much worse your anxiety would be if you had an alarm that went off every time you had anxiety right one time i read like a tweet or something that really made a lot of sense to me and i think that's what's like connecting these things to me okay i once read a tweet that said Having anxiety is like always hearing video game bad guy music, but never being able to see the bad guy. And I think that's like where this is connecting for me, because that's what you're describing is like, there's, there's bad stuff. And it's like, where, what, where? (laughs) Oh, Mad-Eye Moody. He's such an interesting character that we almost never get to hang out with. (laughs) Yeah. So Harry makes a very astute, like, what am I thinking? 
Uh-huh. He makes an astute comment that he's just like, hey, bud, your 13-year-old rat's not looking so great. Yes. Yeah. Hermione dips and and Ron is like babying Scabbers and Harry is, quote, unpleasantly surprised by how garbage Scabbers looks. And, like, it is pretty sad that Ron is so in denial here because outside of this, the context of this story, that's for sure just a rat that's going to die soon. And he's just, like, so in denial. I mean, surely, surely Crookshanks is not helping. Well, we get this, like, really, like, I don't even know if you can call it foreshadowing. It's just telling you the plot. You mean, like, narration? (laughs) Harry goes, you know, Harry couldn't help feeling that unless Scabbers had powers he had never revealed, he was reaching the end of his life. (laughs) It's funny because that's both, like, foreshadowing, obviously, but it's also a callback to the magical menagerie, which sounds so sexy, where those sexy rats on the counter were like, we can sing, we can dance, la-di-da, and Scabbers was like, I can nap, and I'm gonna nap right now. (laughs) (laughs) I can nap and live to 13. (laughs) (laughs) A magically strong number. I love uh, Harry's little thought here about like, even though he always complains about him, I'm sure Ron would be sad if his pet died, which is like, yeah, dude, I don't think he's a psychopath. I think he would feel sad if his pet died, whether or not he outwardly shows affection to him. Okay, I am a cat haver, right? So I'm constantly berating my pets and talking shit about them because that's just the only way to be mentally healthy when you're a cat haver. All day long, it's like, shut up, bitch. Get out of my way. You're so stupid. Because they are thinking the same things about me, okay? Anyway, (laughs) but so, like, the fact that Ron is constantly talking shit about his rat in no way means he doesn't love that rat, okay? He's like, look (laughs) at you, you fucking lump. Like, that's a that's term of endearment, you know? Dude, and that's why, once again, great for a three-way. Because even if the girl's paying more attention to your bro, and maybe if Ron gets a little jealous at the end of the day... He's going to come back and you're going to be cool. Also, he's just like not going to judge your body. Yeah, <laughs> straight up. Just, just, we just feel that way. There's like no defense for that. It's just like a vibe that Ron gives up. He's Ron, just, I think, I think Ron would be into a lot of body types. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. There's, there's no doubt, man. He would, yeah. uh, he would definitely, uh, he would smorgasbord. Mike, Michael, you're, you're bringing this up enough that I'm concerned that you want to be in a three-way with a dull Ron. <laughs> Rupert Grin is full dad mode now, which is Yeah, not- he's an attractive man, Brooke. <laughs> you follow me, Rupert. You bring that ice cream truck around and yeah. we'll have some fun. So Ron, Harry, and Hermione are spending Christmas just hanging out in the common room. The whole rest of the house is home for the holidays. So- they're, Ron and Hermione are a little bit grumpy. Harry's just like gazing lovingly at his firebolt. I don't understand how he's not trying to ride it right now because it's Christmas morning. You're supposed to be playing with your new toys. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe Hermione was able to like logic him out of it, but. Yeah, but also it's just like, think about it. Like imagine getting something so awesome and so new. You're just kind of almost in awe of it. And you're just kind of sitting there just like, wow, like this is going to, you're just thinking to yourself, like all the fun stuff you're going to do. And in some ways that's just as much fun. Like, well, when I first got my camera, I was like afraid to touch it for like some time. I was like, this is too nice for me. I shouldn't own this thing. I'm afraid to touch it. Yeah. I was kind of the same way with my iPad. Just like, I'm going to leave you here on the table. (laughs) Yeah, like I would get Lego sets as a kid. And before you'd even open the box and try to assemble Legos, you would just imagine 
playing with the like assembled Lego spaceship or whatever it is in your head. And then like after you kind of like game down from like your like present high, you were like, all right, let's do this. (laughs) Oh, that's cute. Okay. So they go to a Christmas lunch, which like. It's a nightmare. This is a nightmare party. (laughs) It's a nightmare party. Well, first of all, they usually have like a grand Christmas like supper. So I don't know why it's like a luncheon this year. It's just teachers and like three straggler students. I'm I'm going to list. I I wrote a list of who. Okay. Okay. So here are the people who are sitting at one table together. Dumbledore, McGonagall, Snape, Sprout, Flitwick. Filch, he's wearing a suit. Two nervous first years and one sullen-faced Slytherin fifth year. Who are these students? Why aren't they allowed to go home? Well, one is apparently named Derek. Derek! Derek! Okay, real question for everyone. Would you rather have to attend this luncheon or the death day party? This luncheon, because at least there's food. Yeah. That I can eat. Okay, there was food at the death day party, but... I, I don't think I would feel that awkward at this luncheon. It's weird, but like... I don't think I, I agree. I don't think I would feel that awkward. I'm the kind of person who can just kind of like settle into any weird social situation. But when you're 13 and it's like, hey, come join all of your professors for a lunch. <sighs> yeah, yeah. I, I'd have to agree with Brooke. I, I think I'd go with Delta. It's just the awkwardness of it. And also think about this. These teachers are forced to stay there for Christmas as well. They're just like, I could be going to see my family or friends, but instead... I'm playing babysitter to you, fuck faces. So <laughs> great. Yeah, because the ho- the heads of houses are here, right? These are the heads of houses, and then Trelawney and Dumbledore. So I almost think that like becoming a Hogwarts professor, and particularly becoming a head of house, is like the equivalent of becoming a nun or something or a monk. It's like this is your life, dude. I agree. Phil just dressed up, guys. Sometimes I feel so sad for him. He's wearing tails. <laughs> like, he's wearing tails and he's wearing them before five. There is not a scenario where he is succeeding. <laughs> and it's funny because, like, the vibe of this Christmas dinner is, like, exactly that of COVID Christmas, right? Like, stay home. Like, Sean and I were in our pajamas. Like, you don't, there's no, there's no need for tails, bro. Like, we're just chilling. <laughs> I just, every time we see Filch, like, of course, in the first books, I'm like, oh, fuck this dude. And I'm still, like, to a degree, fuck this dude. But also, like, as an adult reading this series or rereading this series, I kind of feel for Filch a little bit. Yeah, it's sad. He's a sad person. Yeah. He's not okay. Yeah, he's not okay. He needs therapy and a human friend. (laughs) Yeah, he's that teacher that just had a really bad divorce that even the students know about. (laughs) And you're just kind of like... Oh, Mr. Stevens. Yeah, it's a shame about his wife. Oof, yeah. <laughs> like, the fact that he got, he got so dressed up because he was probably so happy to be included at the table with everybody. Yeah. One of the things that's kind of concerning that Voldemort always does is she makes these characters that are, like, tragically shat on by society, like Lupin and Hagrid and Filch, but, like... Hagrid maybe a little bit and Lupin a little bit, but like most of them really don't ever like have a nice, like everyone accepts you now. It's like she just puts on them in there to be like, look how society shits on them and will continue to shit on them and will always shit on them. I think that you're right because the only person, at least out of the list you just did, that 
uh, presumably has a happy ending as Hagrid because Filch is stuck in this job and Lupin fucking dies. So I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, but she's never been really good about one caring for her characters beyond like a core cast. And then on the flip side, really kind of like three dimensionally, like spinning them out, you know, like Umbridge is a great example. She's very one dimensional. She is who she is. And she's there to be a fulcrum to like incur a lot of emotion out of the reader. And so like, I mean, it's just that's just who she is, you know, like there's there's a core cast of people that she loves. And it's that Harry Potter gang. And I feel like even when she killed off Dumbledore, I feel like that probably was hard for her. I feel like she probably was like, I don't really want to do this. Do I really want to do this? But someone once told me to kill my darling, so I guess I should. Yeah, like, but like, she's never, she'll never, like, yeah, like, if I was the writer, I'd be like, of course I'm going to kill Hagrid. The kids are going to cry like a motherfucker. Like, <laughs> She's the polar opposite of George R.R. R. Martin. Yeah, but she killed Fred, and I, to this day, think that was unnecessary. I would never kill one of a twins. Well, especially when your original choice was Arthur, like older, like he, as much as it pains me to say, that's the better choice. And she was like, no, no. A twin. <laughs> yeah, but even then, there you go. She kills a twin because in her head, she's like, well, there's still another yeah, one of them. Literally. <laughs> like, uh, spare. Kill yeah. the spare. Yeah, anyway, true story. This reads heavily like everyone, like um, all the kids are forced to sit at the dinner table and the mom is really trying to make it fun. Dumbledore's like, welcome. Here, have a Christmas cracker. Here, have some food. We're all so happy you're here. And Dumbledore offers Snape a Christmas cracker. Um, and they pop, do it. They do. They, he does the, th- he cracks the cracker and out comes a hat with a vulture on it, which is reminiscent of the hat that his scary bogger wore when Neville put him in his grandma's clothing. Love it. I love, I feel like the, ho- I feel like Hogwarts manifested this as like a fuck you to Snape. As you say, is the cracker sentient? Like, does, <laughs> does the cracker know what he, like, does the cracker look into your soul and it's like, I'm going to come up with something like tailor-made embarrassing for you. <laughs> they create crackers by actually taking a little bit of an, the essence of a bog art and putting it inside the paper that you pull apart. And what you're actually doing is when you touch it, it reads who has the bigger social anxiety and then creates something <laughs> that will trigger them. It is a fully malevolent entity, the Christmas cracker. Now I'm just imagining like opening a Christmas cracker at like my family table for Christmas and it's just like my nudes spill yeah. all over the table. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's an Amazon digital picture frame and inside is just loaded with nothing but nudes. No, no, no. <laughs> a full stack of printed photos. <laughs> oh, yeah, Polaroids. Just Complete Polaroids. with a sudden gust that pulls them through the room. And yeah. it's just Michael frantically trying to stuff them all into his bag before they blow away. <laughs> like Uncle Vernon with the letters. That's how I felt when you got in the car with the uh, with the um, book. Uh, the centaur pick. Michael looks at my birthday centaur pick quite a lot. <laughs> it's hot. a great one. If you know, you know. And if you don't know, join our Patreon. Yeah, join the Patreon. Worth it. When we were brain- originally brainstorming Patreon tiers, I think each one of us individually jokingly recommended nudes. We'll take turns with nudes. My nude, your nude, a hot <laughs> Dumbledore nude, you know? <laughs> we can have We can have cat nudes. We can have rat nudes. I think at one point we discussed sending like a picture of just a nipple for every person in the podcast. Whose nipple is Whose it? Nipple You'd is have it? To is guess. it even one of ours? Who knows? Like- <laughs> wow. For none of this and more, please join our Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> Trelawney comes into the luncheon late. Dressed in green sequins. Stellar look. The greatest description ever. Do you want to read it? 
a glittering oversized dragonfly. Yeah. Oh my god, that sounds dope. (laughs) (laughs) She suggests that she's only here because she saw in her crystal ball that she would be. That's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Trelawney comes into this scenario with her speech, with her dress, with full Baz Luhrmann energy. (laughs) (laughs) Just like decked out, saturated, is like the fates brought me here. I didn't even want to be here, but like I'm gonna show up in style. (laughs) Yeah, um, it's definitely all about the drama. She's gotta be dressed the nines if she's going to like actually make one of the first accurate predictions she ever makes in the series. Well, I mean, she's predicted a few things accurately. We've been over this. She predicted the fucking Neville Cup and debatable if she predicted the Lavender Bunny thing. But Trelawney, immediately with the drama, she's like, whoa, coming here this way wasn't enough drama. More drama. I can't sit down because then there will be 13 of us. And when 13 people, does she say like a little rhyme or something? Can someone read it? It's never forget that when 13 dine together, the first to rise will be the first to die. So sh- what? that's what we would call shitty poetry. Um <laughs> Yeah, but McGonagall, I think, has had a couple drinks and is like, sit the fuck down, basically. (laughs) McGonagall goes full cat fight. She's like, hey, look, there's not that many students here. So like, if I do this now, it's not that bad. I'm just gonna go all the way in. The exact tone of this entire exchange between McGonagall and and Trelawney McGonagall's exact tone is when Brooke says, hey, look, like, that's exactly what McGonagall is like. I am not even like, like, shame on you for making me engage in this conversation. (laughs) Hey, look, I've been on the other side of that. Hey, look, and it's, uh, (laughs) it's, uh, it's, it's a rough, but seriously, can you like imagine just being a kid? Like once again, 13 years old, you're just sitting there and you're watching your professors fight. Oh, it's really bad. Like, not even fight, but just imagine, like, one fresher just gets up and there's, like, someone here will die. And then another <laughs> professor's just like, shut up, you fucking hack. You fucking and idiot. Like, eh. They go back and forth in my text for about half a page, mm-hmm. Trelawney and McGonagall, which is pretty... The thing is that, like, I don't think Hogwarts professors bickering is, like, really noteworthy, but it just goes to show that, like, for some reason, Professor Trelawney is, like, McGonagall's, like emotional stone cold bitch like kryptonite she's like Mm -hmm. i think we all know that one person where it's just like wow your mouth is open and i'm already fucking done you know and it's like for mcgonagall it's trelawney you know in a lot of ways i think jk rowling as the series went on really like grew to like mcgonagall as a character and like started fleshing her out going back to like my earlier comment like i think she kind of just started as kind of like a one-dimensional kind of like like a nerd type yeah, the hard-nosed nun to, like, Dumbledore's soft kind, like, grandpa-esque yeah. vibe. And I think as the series went on, I think there's kind of relation, like, relationship, like, she felt a connection to that character. Because it's just, like, who hasn't been, there's that one person that no matter what they say, <coughs> Tina, um, they just, that just, <laughs> they, they just, it just rips you out, you know, you just come at them. Um, <coughs> Andrew. Um, what are we talking about? What? Nothing. I'm not talking about anybody. <laughs> Michael's making both of you doubt each other because both of you are actually quite kind with your feedback, and I am the one that gives the feedback that makes people cry oh, at home later. I was like, what's going on here? <laughs> no, Brooke, what? No way. What? No way. For what 
is worth, I don't believe you provide feedback harshly. I think it is straightforward and you deliver it in such a way where I'm like, well, good. That was clearly like not a very big deal to her. So it's not a big deal to me either. (laughs) Oh, well, I'm so glad you said that. And I am going to take that recording and play it for Michael. (laughs) I just like need the listeners to know that I'm not actually a mean person. No, she's not. No matter what Mike might be mouthing right now, she's not. She's a lovely individual. Yeah, I don't even want to, like, engage in defending your character because I don't think anyone has called it into question. Mike's making an elaborate joke about how his marriage is the hostage situation. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he's lucky to have me. Truly. Literally the other day we we were going, what was it? We were shopping? Oh, no, we were going, we were walking through an airport and he was like, oh, what's our gate? And I was like, B4. And he was like, oh, okay. And we got into this conversation about, I was like, where would you be without me, man? Like, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I would be totally fine. And then he stops dead and he looks at me and goes, hey, what's our gate? (laughs) 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 Yep. Mm -hmm. That's that wife life. Yep. Getting back to it. Can I just say, this is actually like, all things considered, my absolute favorite bit of foreshadowing in the entire series. Which? So when she says that when twelve or when thirteen dine, okay, Scabbers is in Ron's pocket. There are thirteen yep. people already sitting, and when she walks in, Dumbledore stands up. Dumbledore was the first to rise when thirteen dined. Why are you doing so much math right now? Okay, wait, give me a second. Okay, so Dumbledore's trying up because Scabbers is a human at the table. Okay, yeah, so it's no already one knows 13 that because is she, there. Didn't, she didn't count. Well, she would probably wouldn't have counted him anyway. Right. <laughs> okay, all right, I'm under, I got you. I got you. I need to like draw a little diagram. But wait, I did need- Scabbers eat anything? Hold on. Yeah, she's saying, <laughs> well, no, and that's the other part is Ron's feeding him in his pocket, which you know Ron would totally do too. He oh, for, sure for sure would do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Especially at Christmas, because I don't know about y'all, but on Christmas, I'm like, Penny, here's a whole salmon. It's twice your (laughs) weight. (laughs) I love you. Dude, this is some deep shit. Andrew, I think you're onto some stuff there, I man. think you're onto some stuff. I'm telling Dude. you, this is my absolute favorite bit of foreshadowing because, yeah. like I said, it combined, I, I, I've made my position on Trelawney very known. I don't like her, but like this is one where she is absolutely correct without even meaning to be. Or she, it, without knowing she is in that situation because she doesn't know Scabbers is already there. The majority of her formal predictions are not like really coming to fruition or like, like kind of like Nav's description of like the self fulfilling prophecy. And it's so interesting that this is what I, I wouldn't even call this like a, a prophecy or prediction. Right. This is a superstition. Right. This is like a flippant offhanded superstition and she's right, which right. is so. It's so fascinating. Her character is really interesting to me. God, and her and McConaughey are just fighting. And like, the shitty thing is, this is like one of the few times where I just think McGonagall is in the, I just think she's in the wrong. Like, Trelawney is a super, super awkward, super introverted, like, homebody. She never leaves her tower, and you're gonna give her shit on Christmas when she leaves her tower. This is like every person with anxiety, this is their fear. It's like the second you like do the thing you're afraid to do, people sh- will shut you down for it. For Chaylani, she comes down out of her tower and McGonagall is immediately mean to her. She's like damn near agoraphobic. Yes. And she is like making this huge effort and McGonagall is nice to her for like maybe three seconds. It's really hard because the nature of McGonagall's character is no matter what someone is doing to you, as long as they're not evil you like you should treat them with respect you know especially on christmas and i'm not even religious i don't even care about christmas but there's just like certain days it's like her birthday christmas fucking 
Halloween. Be nice to people. I fucking love Halloween. And then again, she's like making a correct prediction here uh, because she mentions Professor Lupin and she says he seems aware himself that his time is short. Yeah. And that he won't be with us long. It sounds like she's predicting, yet again, murder, but she's not. She's just predicting a little career change. Mm-hmm. Eventually, super full, because they've probably been eating a lot to avoid talking, Ron and Harry stand up at the same time. Really quick, before that, everyone is ob- – I, I can only imagine that everyone is drinking, because Dumbledore, in front of all <laughs> the students, is like, hey, Snape – you made that potion for Lupin again, right? Ah, he'll be fine. Yeah. You made the potion. And once again, like, it's just, it's sloppy. Like, why would you bring that up in front of students, especially fucking Hermione Granger? I almost think that Lupin informed Dumbledore that Harry had borne witness to Snape bringing him the potion. And Dumbledore was like, well, the only thing to do now is to just treat it like it's super normal, you know? Because, like, obviously they already know. Is there any explicit mention of teachers drinking in this? Because I am keeping a running count on our website. There's a tally up if you go to movienightcrewnetwork.com slash the restricted section. There is a running tally of which teachers have been drunk so far. I am very eager to keep an accurate count. Yeah, if you haven't checked out our new website, it's super sexy. Please check it out. Um, yeah, so far our drunk count is Hagrid 3, McGonagall 1, and then Trelawney is just a series of question marks. It's pretty hard to tell. So so here's my thing, right? Like, you're a wizard and you're an adult wizard, right? Like, okay. would you not, and you know you have to be around kids, why would you not just do a spell where you're like, zippity zappity do put a brewery <laughs> in my stomach like isn't there like a disease where you like can ferment your own alcohol or something yeah, like that self-fermentation is a disease yeah so like couldn't you just like magically wave your wand point at your intestines and you're just like we're about to get fucking crunk okay mike i know you aren't the biggest drinker in the world but for me drinking without drinking would be really sad <laughs> that's how i feel about vaping it's like it's like it's not being high that I like love so much. It's like, I really love smoking. Going to a brewery and just becoming drunk would be kind of sad to me. I want the process. Maybe then they had like a really crappy pregame before they came there. Like <laughs> all the teachers just gathered. That and sounds then, right. And then that's why McGonagall so short because she's like, I've already been hanging around this bitch <laughs> listening to her crappy records. For, like, the last, like, two hours now. I can picture them in the staff room just, like, talking about Professor Lupin's condition. And they're all kind of drunk. And, like, Dumbledore's like, I hope he took his potion. And, like, Professor Sprout, like, gets all up in his face and, like, puts her finger on his lips and is like, Albus, wait, Albus member. Wait, Albus member, please, wait. You're not supposed to say this in front of the students. Albus, don't say (laughs) potion in front of the students. And Albus is like, ooh. Okay. And then they go down to dinner and Albus is like, thank God Lupin's taking his potion. And Sprout is just like, ah! <laughs> and And afterwards, probably he turned to her and was like, Pimona, wasn't I so sneaky how I brought up the potion in front of the children? Yeah, it was like so slick, chi- like they didn't children. even notice. <laughs> I did it. No one knew. Oh, Professor Sprout, here's my head cannon. is the teachers get drunk and they're all super fucked up and Professor Sprout is the one who makes sure they get to their bedrooms and tucks them into bed. She's drunk too, but she's got it together. She puts a little glass of water by their beds. She kisses them on their forehead. It's not harassment. This is Hogwarts. And then she goes out to the greenhouses and gets high by herself with her wife, Madam Hooch. Head cannon complete. Um, it does not. We don't get any direct indication that they're drinking. Yeah, I think it's implied. I think 
it's implied, but also it's like, I don't think they're going to like drink openly at a luncheon. Um, here's a sad question. Where's Hagrid? He's in the, the sadness shack. I know. That sucks. It's Christmas. Yeah. That sucks. He's sitting with Buckbeak feeding him steaks. <gasps> and he's drunk. Yeah. yeah. He's just drunk, drunk. drunk and crying and feeding Buckbeak snakes. Snakes steaks. Hagrid only hangs out with animals that can drink. We talked about the whole <laughs> we talked about the whole dragon thing because Hagrid was feeding Norberta brandy. Wow, go back and listen to that episode, am I right? Anyway, <laughs> so finally Ron and Harry get up. And Trelawney, like, completely flips out. She loses her fucking shit about, like, which one of them rose first and therefore will die. The, I, I honestly, kind of, don't think she would have been as concerned if it had been other students. But the fact that it could have been Harry, I think, is, like, what really gets her. She's like, I've literally been protecting your death this whole time. Everyone's like, dude, it doesn't even matter. Like, McGonagall says, read it. Unless a mad axe man is waiting outside the doors to slaughter the first into the entrance hall. <laughs> love it. I love it. I wish she was nicer, but it's a good line. So then Ron and her Harry leave and Hermione's like, I'm going to stay behind. No reason. It's Christmas. I would never betray you. <laughs> <laughs> really quickly. You know what I just thought is the way that McGonagall acts, kind of the way that like the hard science professors will goad and will like look down on the soft sciences like there's like a lot of interdepartment rivalry between what like, are you know, soft and hard sciences i know what like soft and hard science fiction is but that isn't mm. the same girl so- let me tell you all about those ones. soft sciences soft, soft sciences, sciences are, are one that are like, like sociology and uh, economics oh like social science okay okay mm. They're, they're sciences it. that don't have, like, hard data for I them. Understand. Like, you yeah. can't, yeah. I understand. Mm, girl, let me like tell you, they're like, yeah, like linguistics. Boom, 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 esta biblioteca. Wow, that is just not what linguistics is. <laughs> Every time I'm like, I study linguistics, people are like, how many languages do you speak? And I'm like, just the one, but I know a lot of great theories about but Let me language. tell you, man, my Elvish is pretty, uh, pretty fucking solid. <laughs> So Ron and Harry are like, whatever, that bitch loves to talk to teachers, that tracks. So they go back to the common room, and they're just gazing lovingly at the fireball. Before we get there, I have a very important thing to bring up. Okay, okay. Sir Cadigan Cadagan. No, pronounce it how you want to. It's just Cadagan in my head. That's okay. That's why it's like, you pronounce it your way, I'll pronounce it my way. Listener, you choose. Sir Cadagan is drunk in his painting with a bunch (laughs) of other people. Which introduces the fact that paintings can get drunk. I think I think we've seen a drunk fat lady before. Yes. Do they have to find the alcohol in another painting somewhere in the castle? Right, and when that alcohol runs out, where do they get more? Does someone have to keep painting them more wine? <laughs> also, are we going to add that to the tally list right now of adults no, getting drunk? No, teachers only. Teachers I'm, only. Yeah, now I'm imagining like a painting trying to like talk a first year into just like like <laughs> like painting purple into an empty wine goblet in their photo. That's like detention. <laughs> like like you're sitting there and some some paintings just like, hey dude, it'd do me a real solid if you just drew like a stick figure gun for me right now. Like <laughs> you're like, what? You're like, yeah, just a revolver, something simple. I'm about to murder this guy. Someone goes to the fat lady portrait and they draw a penis on her portrait and she's like, Thank you. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yeah. A little bigger next time. Thank you so much. I love the idea of McGonagall being like, Creevy, I'm giving you detention. You must go and fill up the vessels of the fat lady and march. They're planning to get lit tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I love your imp- 
impressions. I love your McGonagall voice. And last week you were doing your Dumbledore voice, which was 100% Mrs. Doubtfire. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Ron and Harry are just straight chilling in the common room. They're like, they're like, today was a little weird, but I'm happy to be alive. I got this cool new present. Dude, I can so relate to the way that they're just like staring at the present. Like I got presents when I was a kid that were so overwhelming that I just kind of stared at them for a while. Oh, you were the kind of kid who cries on their birthday because you can't handle the emotions. No. Oh, okay. I mean, it's okay. You can cry. Yeah, I know I can cry. <laughs> I just, right. No, but- no, 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 Andrew. No, hey, hey, hey. It's okay. You can cry. <laughs> Thanks. I feel I feel safe now. I I got like certain things. Maybe you can't use them at the moment. Would be a good way to put it. But like, it's just like you get like the a thing. snowboard. Yeah, something. I remember like that. when like, my brother got hit a snowboard for Christmas, and he, he we couldn't sit on the couch because it was on his lap. <laughs> yeah, it, it's something like that where you just like you just look at it and you constantly do the Owen Wilson like wow 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 <laughs> this is gonna be so great when I can use it wow. Well, he like he like gets his little like broom maintenance kit. I refuse to call it a broom servicing, servicing kit. kit. <laughs> you gonna go service some broomsticks? <laughs> <laughs> He gets his little, like, maintenance kit, and he's, like, looking for flaws, and then he's just marveling at the fact that he can't find any. A brand new broom has no flaws? It's almost like just, like, looking at your newborn child, and you're like, what's wrong with you? Nothing. You're perfect. (laughs) Dude, he's just sitting there, and he's like, I'm gonna get so much poon. Yeah, for sure. 13-year-old Harry, super emotionally uh, well-adjusted, super socially slick. He's like, the poon is what this is for. (laughs) Yeah, I used I, I meant to bring this up way at the beginning, but I forgot to. One of the things that they mentioned that I think is actually a really cool little detail is that they put the serial number right at the tip of the broom, which would be super useful. Like none of the sports equipment, even the super expensive shit that I had growing up ever had like a very obviously visible serial number. So you could be like, no, no, that's mine. Hmm. Like. I, I love it. I think it's a great little detail. Super practical. I'm trying to think. I've never, like, had to use that before. Do bikes have serial numbers? I think they do, right? I think everything has a serial. Yeah. Oh, if you, like, I mean, look like, hard enough. Like, yeah. especially, like, let's say you have, like, a bunch of guns or something like that. Like, you, if you want to sort them out, you got to sort them out by their, their serial numbers and shit. I'm just, so. like, look. I'm, like, does my wine bottle have a serial number? No. Yeah, but can you fly that thing around? Wait a second. Maybe. Hmm. Does my elder <laughs> wand have a serial number? <laughs> Well, these are some runes, so this could be a serial number. I'm not sure. I have not taken ancient runes. How disappointing would that be? You, like, learn ancient runes, and you're like, ooh, what is this? And it's just like, edition one. (laughs) First production uh, run. (laughs) Yeah, you're like, it's probably some secret, uh, like, sacred, like, enchantment that's, like, been put on it. And it's just like, no, it's just 5372. Inspected Uh, by Inspector 541. (laughs) Oh, whoa. What does it all mean? That's meta, Andrew. Oh man, yo, what? hey! What? If somebody on Discord, can what is pull that up- joke? Yeah, don't no, that. don't say it. Don't say it, Andrew. But if someone on Discord, you're can, not like- even on Discord, Mike. Get I don't on care. Discord, <laughs> Andrew. Tell me if they tell me if they bring it up on Discord about Inspector. Okay, all right. Well, this one's for you. Whoever knows, are you what making they're about. like a Futurama? No, God, what? Oh man, <laughs> Andrew doesn't know what you're talking. about. Oh, so like in Futurama, <laughs> Bender. Oh, okay, you are making that joke. Oh. Wait, was that was that his inspector number? No, yeah, it wasn't his so. inspector. It was I think like it was inspector. 11. Inspector, it, like it doesn't. Yeah. It does not matter. It was not an. It wasn't an intended reference. This was funny, and then it got confusing, and now it's just funny again. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. it's good. 
It's Futurama. No, I, I know it's great. Do- Thank you, Inspector Number Such and Such. That's how I know I'll always stay alive. Yeah. I just like can't remember shows or movies this way. Like I can't quote it. Sean routinely quotes my favorite films to me, and like I'm like, "What is that from?" And he's like, "It's from fucking Pineapple Express," which is one of my favorite movies. You quote Bob's Burgers all the time. That's different. <laughs> that's that's different. religion. That's that's my religion. Bob's Burgers is different. And Sean can quote more of it than I can. So, I mean, if you watch something enough times, it just becomes a part of your personality. Anyway. All right. So, so, so Harry's fucking full of food, feeling great. He's like, finally, I have a home. I have a broom. I have a life. Like, I have a best friend. I'm full of food. Like, I'm so happy right now. And then Hermione comes in with Professor McGonagall. And the only other time Professor McGonagall has been in this common room before was during the whole Chamber of Secrets debacle to be like, there's a Chamber of Secrets and it's going to murder you. Hermione comes in and immediately sits down and puts a book in front of her face. And that shit's upside down. That should be a clue right there. I I wish we had seen that in the movies. That's a funny image. Guys, whoa, whoa. Did Hermione just book wrong? (laughs) She she booked wrong. (laughs) Ron's sitting there feeling all self-righteous. See, you screw it up sometimes too, he's thinking. (laughs) So, but, but McGonagall is like, I need to take your fireball because like, we don't know who sent it to you and there could be like curses and jinxes and stuff. And then she takes it and then she leaves. And, and they're like, Hermione, you're such a narc. And Hermione's just like, dude, it was, it was probably sent to you by Sirius Black. And she's not wrong. She's She's not not wrong, wrong, but she also. She's right for the wrong reasons. She tattletailed. I, I mean, but okay, it. no, here's the thing. Here's the thing. We shit on them all the time for not just involving an adult. Oh, yeah. And like, this is a time where like, I agree with Hermione. 100%. An adult needed to be involved. I probably would have tried harder to talk to Harry first. I think that's the thing is like, she, she tried to say something about it when he had just opened it and was like 110% serotonin. And like, I probably would have tried to revisit it and be like, Hey man, I really want you to think about this. I just like, he's literally been staring at it lovingly for like, I don't know, a while now. Like he's just not giving up the broom. On the other hand, I I see that, like, from Harry's perspective, it's like, yo, who's dropping this kind of cash just to fuck with me? You know what I mean? I don't think there's anyone who acted wrong in this situation. It's just a shitty situation. Because to Hermione's credit, I definitely understand that she knows that tomorrow morning, first thing he's going to try and do is ride that broom. It just sucks. It sucks that it's Christmas. Yeah. Just the whole thing. It just sucks. It sucks. Okay, here's the issue. So I'm a sober friend, right? I'm a sober uh, friend. bless you for that. <laughs> and like when you're out at a club and some skeevy guy like brings your friend a drink out of the ether, I am the one to be like, you're not drinking that. And the response that people give to you when they're just like, but I have been provided with free alcohol. I'm like, you don't know where that came from. That dude looks creepy as hell. He is actively sitting there watching you drink it. Like, you are not drinking Licking his lips. Brooke, I really wish you wouldn't describe our first date together. (laughs) 
But so, I mean, <laughs> the problem in our relationship is that guys are always buying Michael drinks. But, like, I am the person to sit there and be like, no, honey, no. And they're like, no, 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 there's there's nothing that could possibly be wrong with this. And it's just like, you are not thinking about this clearly even a little bit. So I really empathize with Hermione here because I have had to do similar things with my friends. And, like, you catch shit for it, but then no one got roofied. So yay you. More friend groups need a brook to help you not get roofied. Well, and it's rare to find a brook because, as we all know, it takes a great deal of courage to stand up to your enemies, but it takes a great deal more to stand up to your friends. Bravo! And then your friends only occasionally call you a bitch for it. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit of Simon. I did write down here, too, when McGonagall's like... uh, you know, did you, who did you get this from? Going back to earlier, I couldn't help but think that Ron was like waiting, like chomping at the bit to be like, we have no clue. Like, no idea. <laughs> not a single one. Isn't How that crazy? Too? It's like a mystery. <laughs> Isn't that crazy, but not suspect at all? He's hairy. People would send him expensive gifts. <laughs> like, Honestly, just... I'm surprised that Ron didn't try to do like a shitty cover up where he's like, oh, my mom got that yeah. for him. <laughs> Ron, you couldn't even afford a wand for a whole year. Your mom did not get this for him. Sit down. The best thing to do in situations like that is just to say the most like outlandish thing that's not just like outlandish, but like is also in a, like inappropriately, if it was true, would be wrong and inappropriate. Like I would just say something like, we we got it with our drug money. Like <laughs> My God, I was like, okay, I need to adjust this for a minute. I'm going to go back to my yeah, room. <laughs> we've been murdering muggles for, for the hire and- <laughs> You know, like, like that's what I would say. It's just like, uh, fuck. The obvious lie is I bought this with my inherited fortune. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Like, who's going to question that? Like, oh, the rich kid bought another rich kid toy. Shocker. And also, like, I, I think that's something that I've never really realized before, because as a kid, you're like, hey, the injustice and broomstick is a toy he got for Christmas. Come on. But I think something that I've never really realized before is like, worst case scenario he doesn't get that broom back and he just buys himself another one because he has, as I just mentioned, an inheritance. Thank God, like, this isn't, this didn't happen in modern times. Like, this was the 90s. Because if this was modern times, you'd just be like, I'm just getting on Wizard Amazon right now and <laughs> click order. Like, I just feel like that's what he would do. Like, they, they don't have the interwebs. You have to order it via Owl. Yeah. Okay. Well, they'd have, they'd they have Amazon. <laughs> Almazon? Oh, my Yeah, Accuzon. I don't know. I like, I like Almazon. I like Almazon. I'm sorry. Andrew, Christina has outpunned you. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's bound to happen eventually. <laughs> yes. Dude, okay, so follow this one. In an alternate universe, fast forward to modern day. Yeah, like the Wizarding World has, how do you say it again? Almazon. Almazon, and it's run by Sir Jeff Beziosi. What? Why? Because it's just a play on Bezos. It's magic now. Yeah. So it's just like, yeah, I'm down for this. I'm down. I support this. Beziosi just sounds like a- Pelosi. (laughs) Beziosi sounds like a normal Jeff Bezos trying to hide out in Italy. (laughs) It's not Beviosi. It's Beviosa. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That's a great place to end this chapter. (laughs) Are y'all ready to move on to plugs? Yeah. Cool. Brooke, do you want to go first? Yeah, I've been Brooke Matherly. You can find me on Instagram at Passion4Parks. You can find me on Twitter at GrumpyBrooke. My Twitter is currently private because I'm looking for a job. And if you don't want to hire me, you can request to follow me (laughs) and I will definitely accept you. For my plug this week, I'd like to plug 
a podcast I've been listening to a lot called Relaxing White Noise. It is literally a podcast of various three-hour tracks of relaxing white noise. And they do everything from nature sounds to, like, your classic, like, rain to, like, space heater noise. And they do, like, sci-fi future tech stuff as well. Like, the noise of the International Space Station humming around you. Um, And so you can, like, really tailor your white noise experience. There are daytime white noises and sleep time white noises. It's just the most delightful thing I've ever discovered. And I really love listening to snippets until I find the white noise that speaks to me in that moment. And I highly recommend them. That's awesome. Mike, what about you? Okay, so just for reference for our fans listening, it is currently February 24th. It is 8.39 p.m. And what I am recommending is GameStock Stonks. Uh, They are currently, as of tonight, it is risen by over 103% back up to $91. I'm telling you, my friends, diamond hands, baby, diamond hands. Like, hold on to it. We're going to the moon. Don't take financial advice from a podcast. Yeah, we're yeah. we're not actually. Financial. We are not financial. The restricted section does not endorse this plug. <laughs> yeah, I am not a financial advisor. Blah 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 blah. Where can they find you? Uh, you can also find me at Weird Cars of RVA on Instagram. Although, on a serious note, I would like to plug uh, Daft Punk has formally broken up. Um, an amazing band, awesome, awesome. Lots of lots of fond memories, harkening back to my childhood. Totally. I think uh, Random Access Memories is probably one of my favorite, like, just techno albums. Honestly, Daft Punk got me into EDM, you know what I mean? Yeah, dude. Like, just a great band, always was, like, pushing it forward, so. Yeah. They also put out what will probably be go down as, like, the single greatest EDM live album of all time, which. Yeah, yeah. It's amazing. If you've never heard it, they take their two of their biggest albums, and every song is a mashup between two songs from the different albums. It's fucking insane. I think it's called Alive. Yeah, yeah, it's something like that. But I'll I'll end with this, though, with the Daft Punk thing, just for our fans, a little fun fact. Uh, And I didn't know this, but uh, they got their start because they passed their mixtape at a rave in Disneyland Paris. So (laughs) I just want to imagine you, I just want to imagine like a rave at Disneyland. And yeah, some like French dudes are just like, check out our mixtape because it's 1993. And you're just like, fuck wow. yeah. So it's a cassette. It's an actual tape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a tape cassette. And, like just that's some vintage shit right there. So just want to also then give a shout out and say thank you, Disney, for Daft Punk. So thank you, Disney, for Daft <laughs> thank Punk. Thank you, Punk Disney, Classic. for Daft Punk. It came full circle because Tron's on Disney Plus. Yeah, so. that's great. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, what do you got? So I, uh, for my plug this week, um, Sorry, you were on last week. It's always a hard when you yeah, gotta yeah. go two weeks in a row. Well, it, this is a good one, though. I, I was kind of inspired. So, uh, this week, the original publisher, and I do not remember the gentleman's name, but the original publisher of the Allen Ginsberg poem, Howl, uh, passed away. And if you have never listened to Allen Ginsberg deliver the poem, Howl, it is definitely, it's about 25 minutes. It's totally worth listening to. It, it, it's a master at work. Like it is a, by every definition of the piece, a masterpiece performance. It's just fantastic. And it, it's crazy when you think about the fact that this was written in the fi- like the fifties, it's so just out there. Like it's upfront about amazingly like uncomfortable subjects for the time. And just, it's totally worth listening to. So if you've never listened to or read how I would say my plug this week is to give it a, give it a listen. Dude, that's so close to my heart. That entire like the the collection of poems for how it's really short. You can go find it at Barnes and Noble. It's like maybe thirty pages. 
well worth it. I like or your local bookstore. Yeah, I carry it with me. I literally carry it with me wherever I go. Because it's yeah, I can't yeah, man, Andrew, dude, that's close to my heart. That's such I'll a great poem. I'll see you in friend. Whoa! Love that you guys are really <laughs> supporting each other's plugs this week. So much bro bonding. So much bro bonding. Christina. Yeah, I've been your host, Christina. You can follow me on Instagram at your girl of the world. You can follow me on Twitter at Christina Khan, and you can follow me on TikTok <laughs> at. Tina Fontina, there, I have one TikTok up so far. It was Brooke's idea, and the ex- execution was better than I thought it was going to be. So go check that out. I have a couple others in store. And I also would love to plug a new Harry Potter podcast that we've become friends with through social media. They're called Muffliato Podcast. Y'all probably know because you're listening to, the, to this podcast that Muffliato is that spell that you use so that, that like other people can't hear you talking. <laughs> yeah, it's just two really cool guys doing kind of the same thing we are, uh, Harry Potter Book Club. They're awesome, and I definitely recommend it. I've also been playing Stardew Valley per Mary Clay's recommendation from a couple weeks ago. It is, in fact, like Animal Crossing's but better. So if you are a super stoner like me and you just want to zone out and do some farming, meet some neighbors, but like, higher stakes than Animal Crossing's. This is the game. Also really quick, while I'm monologuing, I just want to let everyone know that we have a really cool Discord server that we've mentioned a couple times. It's a lot of fun. It's such a good community. And, um, you know, we, we talk Harry Potter there. We also talk other things. We have a, on our network, we have a movie podcast, a Percy Jackson podcast. We're looking to bring on some other cool new podcasts in the future. And um, it's just like such a great network of friends. So just like, Shout out to everyone that's on our Discord. And if you want to become part of that community, we would love to have you. And you can do that by joining our Patreon at the lowest tier. The dollar a month tier gains you access to our Discord server. And we would just love to meet some new friends. Anything else? Any last words, gang? Bye. (laughs) Bye? Bye. Wait, I have to do my thing. Harry, get out of... (laughs) Wait, hon. Get out of the table, but don't get up first because maybe you'll die. That, that one wasn't good. I don't love it. <laughs> bye. Bye. Quickly. Bye. 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 <laughs> the Restricted Section was created and hosted by me, Christina Khan, based on the book series by J.K. Rowling. All music by Ryan Khan. Logo by Michael Hardison. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Restricted Section Pod or shoot us an email at restrictedsectionpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts, feelings, complaints, conspiracy theories, or lavish praise. Fact three, this podcast sucks. (laughs)